welcome to the Connor Churlin podcast, where I, Connor Churlin, meet up with a musician, hear about what makes them tick, what kind of experiences they're bringing into their musical expression. On today's episode, we have James the Eighth. James is an incredible singer, guitarist, songwriter, lives here in LA. I met James at the Hotel Cafe at a show I was playing at the beginning of 2022, and he complimented my pants, and I've liked him ever since. He and I talk about keeping the feel of music as the most important thing, uh, the importance of a good mentor, and leaving the Mormon church, which is the context of his song, Don't Let Me Fall, and you'll hear that around the 20-minute mark. Um, I really enjoyed learning from James, and if you like what you hear, I'm sure you're going to love his new music releasing, hopefully soon, so please enjoy James the Ape. Anyway, that's the technical <laughs> stuff. <laughs> We did it. <laughs> we did we it. We made it. That was seamless. It's we like did. it didn't even happen. <laughs> so seamless. So I met you at Hotel Cafe. Thought you did great. Felt very moved. Thank you. Um, and then in this last week, have been listening to some of your like YouTube covers, your like original YouTube stuff, like going through your website, going through, like trying trying uh-huh. to figure out more about you. Um, Some stuff. I found a cover of Weight in Gold by... Galant that you did, it's yeah. dirty good. So hey, good. Um, thank you. That was fun. so so gorgeous. I guess we'll start off by asking you about like relationships you have with with people in music that you seem to really enjoy. Being like Eric Krasno, is that how you say it? Krasno, yeah, yeah. And Ashley Hess seems to be two names that keep coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna get okay. So there's a, there's a bit more flavor on that second one. My bad. Yeah, somehow. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> good. That's good. It's good. It's you know, uh, I have an ex that is good at music that I used to do music with, and her name's Ashley S. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So yeah, there you go. She's a great person and an incredible artist. Um, yeah. And I I worked with her a lot. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been a while now. I mean, we did the the long distance thing for a minute, and would I would fly into town and do a lot of like writing and videos and shows and stuff with her in those little spurts, and then she was on the American Idol and mm-hmm. got like a big bump to her career from that, and then started doing more with her because she moved out to Nashville. And anyway, it's really yeah. tangential, but uh, <laughs> yeah. She's she's a really good person. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're really close, not so much anymore. Tell me about Eric. So you just went on tour with Eric. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Eric Krasno's kind of like mm, mentor type relationship, and is yeah. the first like homie that I've had that's like in the industry and can give me like good advice, and is an incredible writer, an incredible guitarist, and just a good dude. I met him about four years ago, it was in 2018, and I moved to New York. I was working with a manager at the time who had like a good network in New York, and I was living in Utah, because that's where I graduated college. He said, move to New York. I was just about to finish this EP that I had just pretty much self-made. So I moved out there, and he sent it to Kraz, and he listened to it, and he said, yeah, he's, he's cool, send him my way, and we can try writing, and then ever since then, we've been really good buddies. Cool. And yeah, he's sort of taken me under his wing with a lot of like producer's role kind of stuff as far as like artist project stuff that he's actually helped me with. He's like done a really good job at playing both roles of mentor and producer where 
He's not as much hands-on with what he's doing with my work. He's just a really good ear to bounce it off of and a good... Mm-hmm. He, when he's in the engineer seat, when I've worked with him in that way, he's really good at just kind of like being able to intuit what the song needs and just mm-hmm. like waiting for me to figure it out, what it is I want to say, and waiting for the songs to like get more concise and like poignant as a result of him sort of pushing me along the way of figuring out what I want to say. Yeah. As opposed to like, I don't know, I've worked with a lot of people sort of in similar ways before meeting him where it was just kind of like, let me tell you how it's done. Come here, sit there. This is that song. Now we're done. Okay, go home. <laughs> and it's not that like your, that. Was that your New York accent right there? Yeah, so. that's, my, that's, <laughs> that's the old New Yorker that I do with Kraz that I make fun of him. That's what he does. Uh, but anyway, so working with him like just immediately four years ago just, just sort of clicked and has been really like rewarding uh being able to work with that dude that's wonderful when you're talking about mentorship and like i'm sure a lot of that mentorship has to do with like how to build a song how to produce a song how to um like what deals to sign what deals not to sign there's probably some of that as well but like out outside of that like just i mean you you're also touring with them so that's a lot of like life to live with somebody like what what are what are some things that you've really picked up whether it be about like the way that he deals with people or the way that he um handles stress or like heavy workloads um what are what are some other things that you feel like he's mentored you in it's interesting it's a good question something that i've one of the greatest things that i've learned working with him is that everybody is human so his big project that sort of launched his career was a band called soul life which is was an organ trio him and Neil and Alan Evans um, were on Blue Note Records. And that's sort of what established his career and, and helped him come up. Shoot, I just totally lost where I was going. Uh, that is human. There was a reason that that just came up. Damn it! Come on, James! <laughs> it's all oh, good, man. Okay, so we're all human. That's what the line of, of, of thinking was, right. was. That was all deriving from. So, uh, his come up, that band, that was a... Uh, that was a band that I stole guitar licks from. I came up listening, I mean, when I was about uh, maybe 21, 22 years old is when I was turned on to a lot of his music, and I dove in pretty damn hard and stole licks from him. So he's just, he's been that sort of a player and a human and an icon to me for a while. And then I had developed this, like, personal relationship with him. And to contextualize a lot of his approach to music after trying to, like, go in and listen and, and, and steal from it a little bit mm-hmm. in a tasteful, respectful way. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing how he is driven in music and his, so his label, his, what he calls his studio, his whole thing. Ah, oh, that helps pop in one ear so I can actually hear myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, his whole thing is called feel music. And that mm-hmm. is what he has like imparted the most through any, any, really any element of music there's there's an element of feel like whether that's in your taste in music or whether that's in your ability to hang and what it's like to like work with someone and and develop a relationship that is both like because it's the music industry and a lot of these relationships are both professional and personal like Kraz and me he's my mentor he's my good homie I you know my when my family comes to town we go over and we all have dinner together it's it's that kind of a thing but then I play in his band and I'm paying him to produce tracks and (laughs) to use the studio and stuff 
And navigating that is something that he is, that's a dicey thing. Uh, and it's something that he's really good at. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of level of human first approach that he has in, in his whole life that has been a really inspiring thing. Something that he's, he's not big on like, let me sit you down and teach you this lesson, but he's, he's big on like just trying to impart lessons in somewhat obvious ways. Like he'll, (laughs) it comes with a wink when something is, he's like trying to like hint at like, this is how you do it, whatever. Yeah. It's, It's, it's good. It makes it, and it's it's sort of the similar way that he does with my music. It's all with a wink, at, like you're headed in the right direction. It's not about like, this is what you got to go do, go do right. it. It's like, hey, go figure out what you want to do, and then what you do will come with it. And it's it makes me feel, or it makes the art more intrinsic. It, like it keeps it in that space, and it, I don't have any like worries about w- whether the 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 juice for the music is coming from me or not, which is something that in other situations I've dealt with. And it's just like, I don't want to feel like that about my own art. So it's good. That's wonderful. Yeah. It sounds like he, uh, continues to shape you in a way that's not, yeah, not taking away from who you are as a, as a person. He's not molding you into his own image so much as like nudging you where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like bumper. Yeah. Bumpers instead of, throwing the ball down the alley for me that's really cool so he he's a big influence on you um you also like the big internet like most of the articles were like this guy was on american idol one time um (laughs) yeah like what which is also like a thing that shapes you i i have this notion that a whole bunch of people immediately want to peg you as something because of what they saw Mm. on a reality tv show and then that might make you like either lean in or lean entirely out of that so like how how have those perceptions post show kind of shaped you well i'm lucky now to be far enough away from it that it 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 doesn't come up as much which is and usually people people aren't doing the research on me when they meet me so it's not like they're finding it out and i'm not electing to tell everybody hi i'm i'm james i was on american idol once um, but immediately after the show, it was sort of like, it's in your it bio was, though, too. It says, uh, part, yeah. In your bio, it says, uh, oh, on my website. Yeah. It, it, it this says, is me being real good with my handling my business. That bio's real old. And <laughs> I've been, I haven't released music. I actually just released music for the first time in four years. And I've been in this like hiatus, truly figure out what I want to do and say with my art. Mm-hmm. And the business side of it has sort of been neglected in a way that I think will be good now because both, I mean, removed from kind of American Idol chatter, really. And now I've like had the time to let sort of any expectations simmer down and then just hit with as much of like truth art as I can going forward. Mm-hmm. So the lead up to the show kind of contextualizes my feelings about the show after because uh i don't know if you saw it but i did the audition with a friend right and and that friend had gone through a whole producer like scouting process where they had done a bunch of skype stuff and then sending in sending in videos and and all that jazz and then they gave her a date to come audition and then a week or so before that audition she emailed the producers a video of me singing a song and said hey my and because 
we were both supporting an artist at the same time, and we had a show in the city that she was auditioning. So I was going to be there with her, and I was going to drive back to Utah with her after her audition because I knew she was auditioning. Right. She sent them an email with a video of me and asked, can I audition with them with her? Uh, and they said, yeah, tell him he can audition in the room with you at the same time. So I found out about a week before it was going to happen that I was going to be going down to actually audition for myself. And it wasn't something that I had ever really thought of for myself. Because, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was 10. Uh, I started writing songs when I was 13, 14 years old. And then I got super into guitar and, and dove in on songwriting for the next, like, seven years up until that point. And I was, I was sold. I, I mean, I was playing in, like, a wedding band making decent money playing guitar and then playing my own shows in the local scene while I was recording my own stuff getting ready to go so I was already in the headspace of like this is what I'm doing with my life and American Idol okay cool it was thrown into my lap let's let's see what happens mm -hmm. and it ended up doing well enough that I was on the show for long enough there's a weird thing that happens in Utah where if you leave Utah and you have any kind of real world like success or fame yeah. Uh, and you come back to Utah, you're, uh, you are like fame times like 30 X anywhere else in the country. Like I, I was at the, I mean, I got off the show at the top 24 and for weeks I would walk around and I would have people stopping me. And that's I'm, like, that's not like, I wasn't a celebrity in yeah. any sense. I wasn't famous at all. I was like a little bit on the show, but that was enough. wasn't anybody else competing with, <laughs> with you yeah, in Utah. It's, it's Utah. <laughs> There's like five people that sing there. So, you know, right. to that extent, coming back off the show and, and being in the headspace of like, I don't really care that I didn't win or didn't make it farther in the show. It was all just like, a, I'll take it as it's in my lap sort of a situation and coming back and feeling like, oh yeah, sure. I'll play your cousin's wedding for an hour just me and take three thousand dollars yeah that's great yeah that's what i did for like months after the show while that ridiculous utah fame sort of lasted yeah and i lined my pockets and that's how i was able to move to new york and then move to uh la without having to go get a job and being able to like string along enough gigs and make money yeah. that way and and having saved from that period it's been like a huge help because yeah. I've been able to pursue music in ways that I otherwise probably wouldn't have been able to do without uh, like a day job that would have gotten in the way of a lot of the stuff that I've done with Kraz. Yeah. So I do, I, I like, there's absolutely no regrets, but it also, it was never like, a, I'm going to do American Idol, I'm going to win American Idol, and then I'm yeah. going to be a famous person. That's yeah. never, I don't, that has, was never, like, being on the show, it was always like, even while I was on the show, the producers, like, send me emails, like, you got to start watching shows so that when we ask you these questions, like, go watch YouTubes of old seasons, because when we ask you these questions <laughs> about other contestants, you need to know. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was never really into it, but it was it was great. And, and there I made a lot of good friends on the show, was scared away of L.A. for a while because of some of the other people that I met on the show. Yeah. But it was good. It's it's an overall it was a positive experience. That's great. I yeah. um when I, I I did an audition for American Idol and very similarly they were like, Cool, so like tell us why you're gonna be the next American Idol. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not gonna be the next American <laughs> Idol. And they were I like, think I said exactly yeah. the same thing. And I was like, Wait, you have people telling you they're going to be? And they were like, Connor, everybody says that. And Everybody's I was like, like I was like, That's dumb. It's <laughs> like there can only be one. <laughs> There's like 12 moms behind you with signs for their son's going to win. Yeah. And I was like, Everybody no. Everybody wants to win. Yeah. I'm not going to win. 
<laughs> like, yeah. and, and then they were like, so if you're not going to win, who's going to win it? And I was like, someone better at singing. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like this is really straightforward. This is a really dumb question. Yeah. Um, I mean. So you save, a, you save a grip of money. You go to New York and then you go to L.A. What, what's the impetus for moving to New York just to start and then L.A.? So uh, I mentioned just sort of briefly uh, that I started working with a manager while I was finishing up uh, an EP in Utah, and he had a uh, a big, a thick Rolodex for people in New York that he could uh, recommend me to. And he had other clients that lived in New York, all that kind of stuff. So it was the logical move sort of at the time. Once I got there, everybody's kind of in like grind hustle mode all the time. And I didn't move out there with a crew of homies. And I got plugged, like, I met a bunch of music homies real quick, and I was always at shows. That side of life was great. Like, the music and the going to hang it, going to, like, sit in on jam nights and stuff. It was always great. But socially, I got real depressed out there. It was real, like... Yeah. There was never once, like, a, yo, you want to go get lunch? You want to go see a movie? You want to mm. go just hang? It's always like, hey, you want to come see this show? Hey, I'm playing in this show. Hey, you want to run a rehearsal? Hey, you want to... All that yeah. kind of, you know. It's hustle mode, which I totally respect. And if you're living in New York, you kind of got to be doing that. And right. after, it was about uh, just shy of two years. And I, I just sort of was... Krasno, I, who I had met there, had already moved to L.A. And I was sort of just like, well, I have family and I have friends in Los Angeles. And I have business, you know, connections, sort of whatever what that means, but music connections out here that it just sort of like made sense to come out here. And then once I did, I mean, I moved out here about four months before COVID shut everything down. Oh, geez. So I got here, I started playing some good, I got a couple good like restaurant gigs to pay some bills and then chop. And it seemed like everybody I met in those four months were like homies at the same level of me. And they all went home like as soon as COVID hit. Yeah. But even with that, it's been like a really mental health great move to come out here for me. Cool. Uh, and I've met, I've got like, a, like through Kraz, I've made a couple other friends now that are like lifelong homies. One of the guys in the band named Curtis Kelly is now, I'm working on most of my new music with him um, and we're playing in the Kraz band together and then we're doing sets opening for the Kraz set cool. together yeah it's become like a really like the right move that's awesome sort of a situation yeah it's felt really with nice. uh outside of like hanging out and playing music doing rehearsal types things like what like I, now you have those people who you can just like go watch a movie with go like have lunch with is that or, or like what is what is your like go-to hangout move uh yeah doing that kind of stuff going over to, to a friend's place just to watch a movie and you know dick around <laughs> drink yeah. uh going on hikes going up to the mountains a lot really like close access to outdoors it's not i mean like griffith park is only like a 10 minute drive from my house that i it's like one of my favorite things to call up a homie go on a walk around griffith park smoke a joint cool it's so lovely yeah. It's it's great, and it's like there's some. I feel like the community of of music musicians and artists out in LA. I feel like there's way more attention paid to taking care of yourself, to yeah. like to being on top of your self care and yeah. and prioritizing that 
in your art as opposed to, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's so much more my speed to like take a day and no, I didn't get anything done today. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going to finish three songs and I'm mm -hmm. going to, you know, be in the studio for 13 hours enjoying the hell out of every minute of it. Right. So, you know, relax, smoke yeah. a joint, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it, like, if you can, I'm, obviously, it's a, it's a place of privilege to be <laughs> yeah, able to yeah, yeah. speak like that. Uh, right. And I'm just, you know, be grateful for it. That's practicing gratitude is a big element of like that whole, like someone who's on top of their self-care, I feel like is always a, a grateful person. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, things in my career could have gone better, just like anybody's career, things could have gone better. But waking up every day and choosing to just be like, yeah, look at what I get to do. Look at, at how I get to do it. Look at where I get to live, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I practice gratitude with that every day. That's great. So, yeah. um, with opening and playing in the Kraz Band, yeah. um, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. That's a lot of vocal fry. So... This tour, actually, we were the band for another artist as well, Sun Little, who is an incredible artist. Dude's, dude's a genius. Um, but yeah, so it was actually three sets of music every night for <laughs> it was about 13 shows over, uh, no, 12 shows uh, over three weeks. A little shy, Jeez. three weeks. It was a lot. And honestly, I was kind of terrified <laughs> leading yeah. up to it. It's the first time I had done anything to that extent. <laughs> Because even like American Idol, the roughest days were nowhere near as much like working. But I'll tell you what, this humidif vocal humidifier steam, whatever, is a cheat code. What life. is it? What is it? Where do, where do I, what is it called? It, it, it's, uh, there's a bunch of different kinds. Uh, that's not the one I was using on the road. The one I was using on the road is just the Vix. Uh, I don't even know what they're Vocal steamer. It, they, yeah. It's like marketed for sinus clearing and it just loosens mucus kind of a stuff but it is also to do that for 10 or 15 minutes before sh so you do it for 10 or 15 minutes and then you spend another 10 to 15 minutes trying to not use your voice at all and it's like coating your throat in butter it makes Amazing. Uh, we were spending three weeks in a van with each other obviously uh one of us got sick and then we all kind of dropped like flies yeah. and i would wake up with like the sandpaper feeling and then the anxiety of like oh god damn i gotta go do three sets and i got sandpaper in my throat right now it melted with doing this thing because you just you sit and you inhale it for like i was saying like 15 minutes and then i was able to actually sing in a way that was like surprising myself every night which is great. It's like, bonkers. I love that that was my experience because now I know that cheat code. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That is yeah. very good to know. What uh, what preparation had you done prior to the tour to like get yourself physically ready for that? Exercising more, doing a lot more breathing exercises on top of just you know regular exercise, doing more warm ups. I'm I'm usually I have usually been so far in my career a shot of tequila and get on stage kind of a guy i'm i just turned 30 and the responsible adult in me is now like doing warm-ups and like trying to learn more about ways to get your voice to feel more groovy yeah and it helps it's the most annoying like adult thing to be like yes. yeah 
I was an idiot for a long time because this yeah. stuff is great and I want to do this until I'm 90 years old. So let's, you know, keep the party going as well as I can. Exactly. What, uh, what breathing exercises? Uh, just like almost meditative, the deep inhale, holding okay. it for so long, exhale okay. and like gotcha. measuring the amount of time it takes and like all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Breath work. I, we're at the 30 minute mark, which is normally when I ask people to play a song if they're willing. Oh, um, word. Are okay. you, are you willing? Are you? I'm willing. I haven't done my vocal steamer, so oh. uh, the voice is going to be rough, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. The, one of the songs that I found so poignant when you were playing at Hotel Cafe was the, um, Don't Let Me Fall Away song. Don't Let Me Fall, yeah. Um. That one's actually, that's a song about leaving the Mormon church. Right, which I would love mm. to ask you more questions about that after, after you play. Um, oh, there's not that much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It's literally <clears throat> like every day there's a thought that crops up that triggers me that makes me consider my Mormon past. So there's plenty to talk about. Yeah. Um, also, when did you turn 30? Uh, I was in November. November, nice. Yeah. I just turned 30 in February. Uh-huh, -huh. congratulations. It sucks, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to, I'm, I'm I keep telling people this is going to, they're about to see me hit my physical prime in the next two years. Oh, yeah. Because I've had this little boy body my whole life. And I was going like, to say, you're like me? me, you're baby-faced, <laughs> and like, yeah. it, it's easy for us to kind of get, I mean, I was carded for an R-rated movie when I was 25. <laughs> yeah. So that day didn't feel great, but when I'm 45 and, you know, I'm getting asked for my ID for a drink, I'll, I'll smile then. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh... I'm going to get vibey. Hold on. All right. Oh, no. 
Well, just tell me I'm wrong Or tell me I'm right Cause I can't figure it out on my own And it keeps me up at night I've been staring at your puzzles And I'm puzzled for sure But I'm staring at the pieces, babe Who's inside of the board So don't let me fall All my weight's on you Well, don't let me fall without crash So hard it's what I do Well, don't let me fall No Fall away from you Don't let me fall, no Keep wondering what it is that I'm supposed to say Cause I'm no echo for the past Ain't no things in ways And if you were to let me down Down now Well I don't think that I get up Don't think I get off the ground Don't let me fall All my weight's on you See, now, this is the danger with finding a cheat code, is that when you don't use the cheat code, you feel it. <laughs> that steamer needed to happen. But it's okay. We made it work. Made that it work. sounded great. Did it, did, it, did, it feel, did it feel a little scratchy? Oh, a little bit, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was you know, a little, little... I was uncomfortable, Connor. <laughs> I am sweating bullets right now. That was dog shit. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm super I'm always really hyper self-critical of performances. In not the healthiest of ways, I'm sure, but it's also like I feel like that instinct in myself is part of what has made me good. Like because I always feel like I can do better. Uh and that keeps me trying to do better. So I try to be forgiving of myself. It's it's a weird like mental game to play because I'll feel like shit after I don't do as well as I think I should and then I'll get mad at myself for being mad at myself because it's like it's just music just let it be its thing but then I'll think that and it's like hey those anxieties are what have driven you to practice more so it's a real roller coaster that I'm going through currently so you know it's, yeah. it's fine yeah uh, <laughs> yeah you see like a, that's a really self-aware spiral right there but it doesn't uh, stop you from spiraling no, no. Life's one big spiral, so you know, yeah. just try to have fun spinning around. I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's a this. really cheesy pull quote, but you know, it, no, it no, works. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. So leaving leaving the Mormon church, did you do it like uh if you guys I'm going home? Did you or I'm like I'm taking my ball, I'm going home, I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm taking my ball. You guys can't play with me no more. That's what I said. And then I gave him the, the read between the lines. Not the middle finger. I was respectful enough. Yeah, perfect. What what was that experience like for you? So it actually was a pretty damn drawn out experience uh, for me. I I started having my issues with the church from a pretty young age. I was born overseas uh, and raised overseas till I was 10. And then we moved to the Bay Area. So I spent my whole life before moving to Idaho and then Utah. I spent my whole life in very diverse communities and cultures. Th that perspective seemed to bump up against some Mormon ideologies pretty early in my life because by the time I was 13 or 14, I was already having my serious struggles with the, the teachings of the church. And then I was, so we were living in the Bay Area uh, when Prop 8 came up. And I don't know if you remember what that yeah. was, but that was, yeah. The campaign for Prop 8, so the campaign was to stop, was to force same-sex couples to call unions civil unions instead of marriages. That's what right. the whole thing was about. Right. And the Mormon church put more, like a historic, like a record-breaking amount of money behind this campaign. And I remembered thinking, like, I was, I think I was 14 when that happened. And I, I, I remembered thinking, like, why the heck? That goes against everything you've ever taught about what happens to outside of the church. Like, the whole message has been, like, the, the, the real Jesus thing. Like, love your neighbor, and it's not your job to dictate what they do with their life. Your job is to worry about you. And on top of like maybe not agreeing with the ways that they told me to worry about myself, they were then sticking their hand out and stopping other people from expressing love the way they wanted to. Right. And that that caused so much like dissonance that I I was set down the path of like thinking for myself because it just didn't make any sense to me. So I I, I started doing things when I was a teenager to sort of test those waters that like the waters of what is evil because it didn't seem evil at all like i started smoking weed because right. that was not allowed in the church and it was something that i like i went i smoked weed i went through the whole process of telling the church leader repented then i smoked weed again and i didn't do that and i didn't feel evil for not repenting yeah. because it didn't feel like that had done anything and i hadn't done any harm to anybody and i had just Played music and played Super Smash Bros. with my friends and laughed my ass off for a night. And it really was one of the early things that, like, cracked this whole concept of what they were calling evil was and, like, what they were basing it on. So I started doing, like, I was a normal teenager sort of a thing, you know? Like, sleeping with my high school girlfriend and drinking and weed and trying, you know, experimenting with different, high school different stuff. drugs. Yeah, high school stuff. And then came time for college, and I sort of had fallen into the, like, I'll do church stuff for family, and then I'm just my normal self apart from that. That was the routine I fell into. And then college came around, and I knew all I wanted to do was music, but I also knew that my my parents, I mean, they had offered to pay for college. It was sort of like a, I mean, I'll go do college while I'm doing music at the same time to keep my parents off my back kind of a move. 
And I went to a Mormon college because Mormon college is dirt cheap. It was like for tuition, rent, food, everything. I spent two years in Idaho and it was probably $18,000 for all of that. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it, it's, it was just really easy for me to say like, yeah, I'll go to that school while I'm doing, working on my own music, like internally, like the introvert that I was all growing up. And I thought to myself at that time, like, I'm going to this college my parents are paying for it, and I've never really, like, in what I thought was adulthood, I was 18, and so I was like, I gotta be a responsible adult, and try the Mormon thing for real, because I never really gave it an honest shot. And so I went to a Mormon college and lived in a town that was, like, 99.9% .9 Mormon. Wow. And I was miserable. And yeah. it, 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 it was, it was bad. And it took, but it took me about two years to, like, gain up the steam to, to leave the school and at the same time, leave the church. Luckily for me, my mom actually left the church at the same time as me wow. and had had her issues with the church, I think, all her life. But she was raised in the 60s in Utah. Leaving the church at that point really isn't an option or something that you right. did. And But so it was 2012 when I left the church. So it'll be in August will be my 10-year anniversary of having oh, left. Wow. And it took seven years from that point. So up until 2019, it took that long for everyone in my immediate family to leave the church. And now everybody in my family has left, which wow. has been one of the best, like most bonding and most interesting ex like experiences to go through, to have conversations with my family about what we believe, like what we think. Like, right. That didn't happen. That was yeah. like, what we thought was printed for us. You go read it. And if you have a question, you ask your bishop. You don't you don't go online. You don't read a book. Yeah. And this is the Book of Mormon. <laughs> but yeah, to be in this position now is really amazing to feel liberated with my family. It has definitely bonded us yeah. considerably. That sounds incredibly cathartic to have that experience ahead of everyone and then to see that change happen gradually, I'm sure makes uh, would make you feel a lot closer to them. The, it it feels really it feels vindicating, hmm. honestly, in a way that is also tied to what I do, my music. My parents and my fam, my, well, my parents have always supported me doing what I want to do, but n didn't really understand it. I might say yeah. for a while. But then in recent years, sort of along with opening up their minds to, you know, the world of thought and what king, what free thinking means, I think it took that for them to sort of really get what it is I do and why I am as committed to what I do as I am in a way that it's like, because they talk now about remembering me as like a teenager and as a kid and how like the church never really had its grips on you the way that it did the rest of the family is something that like everyone in my family has said to me at one point or another which is true and it makes it easier for me to not be as resentful of anything in the church now as some others in my family can be which is you know it's their experience so that it's totally right for them to feel however they feel but it feels now really nice to be able to have those conversations and to be honest about what I was going through and to have them sort of kick back that like they could tell that I approached it a little differently, even as a kid. 
because yeah. I, I just felt like when you're in that position as a kid, every time I would air those concerns with anyone in the church or in family, it was always the concept of you're not working hard enough. You're not mm. like praying enough. You're not feeling enough. And to me, it's like, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm feeling too much. And this shit is scaring me. There's a real switch that comes about in, in people that are allowing themselves to think outside of that box of their religion. And it opens them up and it feels very vindicating to, to see that in them now and to be able to relate to them on so many things and experiences in the church that I've for so long felt like made me a black sheep almost. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, feels really the... good now. I think one of the reasons why I love the uh, Don't Let Me Fall, it does a really good job of taking something that's like genuinely terrifying in the moment. Like the, the idea of falling away from like that, the, the phrase falling away means you're the one, you're, you're falling and you're going away from, from like what it is, is like this cliff face and like. The, the cliff face is where things are safe and you are the rock that's falling into the ocean never yeah. to be seen again. And that's, that's, um, that's a terrifying notion because you're about to get lost forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th that I, I, I think that it's, I don't think I had heard a song that used that phrase before in that context. Mm. And it felt, uh, it felt so well used because you, you're, you're lovingly asking God, to not let you fall away. And um, there, there, I, I feel like it is a song of devotion and it is a song of like really asking for something to change. That song was a prayer. That really yeah. was what it was. It was, and I mean, whether I drank the Kool-Aid as much as someone else or not, because I, talking about how like I always felt like I, I came early to the understanding of not, agreeing with the church despite that it still is like woven into the fabric of my life and the 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 like the decision to leave and the decision to stop they're not my feelings but like they're not feelings that really are coming from an internal thing to begin with it's something that i have adopted mm -hmm. subconsciously that the fear that that entails and and it's still it still happens like it there's there's still things concepts conversations that come up that give me pause and make me like question what the hell it is that i'm doing with my purpose like how i'm defining my life and giving myself reason like is it valuable or is it something that i'm you know Am I not paying attention to things that I should be paying attention to? Those fears come back to the church and they come back to this feeling of there's an authoritative thing that knows what is best. And mm. if you're not doing what's best, you're failing at life and you're going to pay for it. Mm. And that coming up with that now, it's like it's an ambiguous thing that I don't know what it is and it causes yeah. anxiety. And then I have to remember like that whole frame of mind that whole idea of there is something that you should be doing or there's something better or there's something that you aren't doing that you you know you're going to miss out on rewards if you don't do it comes up when you don't expect it because yeah. it's not it, you know it's not a choice it's not a line of thinking or a, it's an anxiety that i had that was innate it was given to me by the way i was raised so that song is just 
an acknowledgement of that almost. It's that prayer. It's like, I still feel terrified as hell, even though I am confident in what it is I don't agree with and what it is I do and what I feel like is humane and right and what is not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sticky sort of exit. It's, it's, yeah, I, it'll be lifelong because it's, it's worked its way into like the way my brain works. Right. And it's just about a practice. A lot of like the breathing exercise kind of stuff. It It's a lot of meditation as well while you do that. And those are the thoughts that I like, I, I try to acknowledge and mm-hmm. point at in my mind, like there, that is the line of thinking that is causing you this stress and you don't need that. That isn't serving you and it's not doing anything. Cut it out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, like a ongoing process of just like breathe, remember yourself and don't be a dick. That's the <laughs> philosophy that comes from it. Yeah. it. Just be, you know, life's hard enough for everybody and everybody's got a story that you don't know. So yeah. breathe, you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting because there. I feel like the one of the best things that art does is it transforms that, like all that inherent like resentment or sadness, and it turns it into something inspiring, which is like really what I think that song really accomplishes. What's What's also cool about this nagging sensation of like, shouldn't your life have purpose? What is your purpose? Like constantly coming back to that. Mm. is it is bringing it back to your death like it's it's like you're you're here for a bit which like which is true like there there are parts of it where it's like look you're only here for a bit yeah what are you going to do and you're you're saying i'm going to play music i'm going to i'm going to go full bore in this in this way and like that the line of thinking of like you know this is a short run what am i going to do like yeah that that is i feel like a really helpful thing to really take and being like yeah i am I am gone in 80 years. All right, here we go. Let's uh, yeah. let's work really hard. It honestly is what makes... It predisposes me to loving what I do. Like, mm. it is a, it makes me practice gratitude, and it makes me look at what I do. Like, I know people who get jaded doing doing music the way that I do music, and it, it it's sad because it's just... Life is short. You're going to... Yeah. You're going to... You can make choices that inspire Which, yourself yeah, almost sorry yeah. there's it's like a, it's a it's a convoluted thought a little bit but we're at about an hour i'll ask you a last a last couple uh rapid fire questions and then and then i'll let you go um any book recommendations anything you've been reading in the last couple of years authors titles that have really been speaking to you I'm trying to think of the last book I I, I read. It's all like you're also allowed to say book that you can't autobiographies. Read. Yeah. Ah, I never <laughs> learned to read. Mormons don't read. <laughs> no. Oh, that's awful. Well, I'm reading this like it's a book about the Beatles and just sort of small stories about different phases in their career that have been amassed from like journals and stuff. I don't even know what it's called because okay. it's it, to me it's just the Beatles book. Uh, and before that, I read a book about it was a prince. It was Prince's book, which is great. I loved it because it was it was something he was halfway through that he, then he died. And then the author that he had been working with changed what it was and then presented it in this new way. And it's really good. It's really cool. And it anybody can draw a lot of inspiration from the way Prince approached everything he did, whether it was recording or touring or 
doing movies or doing this book, everything he approached in much the same way that I was talking about with Kraz, like the feel, the humanity element of it coming first. Like it was his art. That's who he was as a human. And that's how he led with every endeavor he went with. There's a lot of passion and a lot of creative energy that came from just being confident in that. Yeah. Sorry that I remembered that. And then I remembered how I inspired I was by that book. So I had to talk about it for a sec. <laughs> That's great. Um, you can go one of either two ways here. You can go either best music or like good music advice that you've received or bad music advice that you've received either way. I would, I would go with good music advice that I've received uh, because it's come from multiple people leading with the feel I've, it's been my exercise of like looking at that, from my mentor and like how that affects everything but it's that same concept and i've been told multiple times it's just like trust the feel there you get you get into a situation once you do music long enough if you're if you're earnest in it and you're going to be doing it long enough you'll find yourself in situations where uh, it it gets intimidating and you're playing with people that are damn good and it you can go you can get in your head really easily about that or you can remember why it is you do music and that is the feel element of it and you can close your eyes you can listen and you mm -hmm. can get into it if you're again if you're earnestly pursuing it then it's a part of you just shut up and let yourself come through pretty yeah. much just feel it don't it's the whole it's the philosophy that boils down to groove don't prove and i've mm. heard that phrase from so many different people and it took contextual contextualizing it in Someone like Kraz seeing the way that that in every walk of music and life is at the core of what you do. It's just, you know, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> Groove. That's... Don't don't try to don't try to prove anything. That's so no. good. You just came out with a song, Come Around. Uh, do we have other releases coming up that we should make people aware of? They're not like scheduled on the gotcha. books, but I have over the last four years, I've amassed a a, a mass deep well of songs yeah um and now that i have sort of broken the seal i my intent is to crank it out um because yeah. i definitely have enough stuff now it's just about like i started working with some people and like trying to strategery our way around releasing some of these tunes but yeah there it'll be within the next week or so that decisions are made and the next thing is coming out so it'll be quick Cool. That's really exciting. Sweet. Um, well, great. Uh, James Gray Dawson, the eighth. The eighth. It's been a pleasure, <laughs> man. Great talking with this you. This was. Thank you for having me, man. This was fun. I, I didn't know fully what to expect. And it was Nobody great. does. Nobody does. <laughs> uh, great. I'm going to clap us out.